Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. On this episode, how radicals are redefining America's rights, institutions, and ideas. John Dewey took over with his protégés, and he fostered ideas about how to remake America, beginning with the K-12 education process. And, and they've done a very good job of robbing us of our civics and instituting kind of social studies programs that are really about programming young children. This podcast is brought to you by Paranormal Contractors. If you have unwanted paranormal activity in your home or business, this is no time to be dealing with amateurs. You need to bring in the professionals. Paranormal Contractors is a division of crime and trauma scene cleaners. They utilize the latest scientific technology to investigate, authenticate, and remediate your ghost or demon problem. Call them at this new number, 631 651-5835, 631-5835, that's 631-552-5835. Email paranormalcontractors at gmail.com and tell them Richard sent you. Check out their YouTube channel, Paranormal Contractors, for things that go bump in the night. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs. Here's Richard Serrett. Welcome to your Friday, and greetings from Southern Greece. Lieutenant Colonel Robert McGinnis is standing by to discuss his new book, Progressive Evil. A quick programming note, first of all. I've just learned that Occulticon 2019 has been cancelled. Again, Occulticon 2019 has been cancelled. This was the event originally scheduled for September 13th to the 15th up in Gray County, Ontario. Again, the event has been cancelled. Unfortunately, but owner-organizer Cayman Mythwood says he's hoping to try again next year at a brand new venue. Once again, Occulticon 2019 cancelled. Go to the website Occulticon.com, Occulticon.com for more information on that. In 1956, Russia's communist leader Nikita Khrushchev said, quote, We will take America without firing a shot. We don't have to invade the U.S., we will destroy you from within. My guest says progressives are fulfilling Khrushchev's promise by making the United States impotent, a socialist state controlled by amoral, wealthy elites who seek to overthrow America from the inside out by redefining rights, institutions, and ideas. Retired U.S. Army Lieutenant Colonel Bob McGinnis graduated from the U.S. Military Academy, the Naval Postgraduate School, the Command and General Staff College, the Defense Language School, and the Army War College's Strategy Course. He's an Airborne Ranger Infantry Officer with service in four infantry divisions on three continents. Once retired from the U.S. Army, he joined the Family Research Council, where he rose to be the Vice President for Policy before returning to the Pentagon 16 years ago. Colonel McGinnis has decades of media experience as a columnist, a Fox News military analyst, and as an on-air commentator for multiple radio programs and networks. He is the author of nearly a thousand articles and six published books, including his latest, Progressive Evil. Lieutenant Colonel Robert McGinnis, welcome back to Conspiracy Unlimited. How are you? I'm doing well, Richard, and thank you very much for having me this day. Oh, my pleasure. I'm enjoying Progressive Evil. I'm about halfway through. I'd like to begin if you could provide kind of an overarching statement about why you believe the current progressive movement presents an existential threat to Western civilization. Well, I consider them a a new religion 
competing against all the others. And, and it's truly uh, trying to rob sovereignty from every country where it exists. You know, I, I call it a, a classic religion because it has a sacred text, which is the Communist Manifesto. It has a clergy, and of course the clergy are the leftists, the universities, and the cabal in uh, Hollywood. It has a heaven, which is the perfection of mankind, which they believe and have since the time of Hegel in the 18th century. Uh, it has a doctrine. It promotes you know, same-sex marriage, uh, many genders, abortion on demand, euthanasia, giant government and government dependency. And, of course, it has salvation, which is embracing big government as God and progressivism as the religion to move that God toward uh, their direction. It considers those of us who don't subscribe to it as infidels, much as uh, true Islam considers outsiders as infidels. So uh, those are issues of very serious consequences. And uh, as we look through the history of progressivism, you know, not only in the United States in the late uh, 19th, early 20th century, but we've seen a radical transformation, and it's been overcome by the socialist. Um, and I consider socialism truly as a tyranny uh, very similar to Marxism and communism. So these are issues of grave consequence, and I think most people need to wake up. Now, Progressive Evil, Richard, was written primarily to educate people about their lack of understanding of civics in the United States. I addressed the rights that we were given by our founders. I addressed the institutions that are being undercut by progressives. And finally, the ideals that made the United States a very special place in this world. Now, progressives are attacking each of these major areas, and as a result, if they're successful, I believe that we become, as a nation, irrelevant uh, in the not-so-distant future. You begin the book really with a question, and you point out the root word of progressive is progress, and, and who could be against progress? So, obviously, that, that term has evolved, or perhaps devolved is, is the better word. Let's talk a little bit about progressivism, even predating the, you know, Karl Marx and the Communist Manifesto, because if you think about the United States, it was really a progressive idea. Well, it was. Uh, and progress, uh, new ideas, findings, opportunities are something that we should aspire to. Uh, but at the same time, I think that they were undercut. They were overtaken by, you know, the, the, certainly you know, the likes of Saul Alinsky and his radical ideas that have infiltrated the progressive movement even today. And it wasn't just the Hegels and the Marx and, and others of uh, centuries past, but it's the modern interpretation. You know, they want to use their ways to go after society's ills. Now, all of us want to you know, tackle the big issues of today. However, uh, they suggest that man is perfectible. He can become perfect. He can become sinless. And I think that that certainly theologically uh, is a challengeable ideal. Uh, they use populism uh, to emphasize material egalitarianism and social engineering. They want to take the children out of our private homes and remake them into something that they see as the right type of citizenry of the future. Uh, they don't believe in absolute truths, and their values, of course, as a result, are relative. And, of course, there's no eternal moral order. These are issues uh, that result in unlimited government, uh, government being God, a very globalist type of viewpoint, uh, and of course they believe that themselves, the elite, uh, are going to oversee all of this, uh, and it's, it's something that they've inherited by virtue, I suppose, of genetics, that they think that they are indeed uh, the best. Uh, you look at the presidential candidates uh, in the Democratic Party these days, and, and I think they're trying to uh, outdistance each other in doing some of the most outlandish things. You know, the last debate, uh, if you calculated, they were going to spend over the next decade $210 trillion U.S. dollars. Uh, that's a lot of money, given that, you know, on an annual basis, the U.S. overspends right now. Uh, for an annual budget of between three and a half and four trillion dollars. So they're going to print uh, money as fast as it can come out. And then, of course, 
economically that would ruin the nation. Uh, but it's their radical other views. You know, they're remaking the court, uh, which is the Supreme Court, something that just came out. Uh, their idea of total intolerance of contrary views. You know, that's part and process of the progressive movement, something that, you know, I'm distressed by, and I think most Americans should be distressed by as well. If we could just go back maybe to the to the, the early uh, progressives, and then we can figure out where it sort of, and when it went terribly awry. Because, uh, you know, as you point out, it's kind of hard to argue with the goals and the ambitions of the early progressives who were fighting for safe working conditions and regulations in food and drugs and child labor laws and even the suffrage movement. Um, so where, I mean, where did it change and when? When did the progressive yeah, movement, which was kind of, you know, something that we could all sort of embrace, when did it, can you pin it to a particular year or date or event? Oh, I think it was a metamorphosis. Yeah, and you're right. You know, I applaud in progressive evil some of the, the early reforms, as you indicate, the child labor laws, you know, certainly the food and drug laws, you know, that some of the constitutional amendments, you know, the new roles, perhaps, of government. But about the time, I would argue, uh, that we had, you know, between Teddy Roosevelt and Franklin Roosevelt, you begin to see, you know, kind of this grandiose idea that government is the answer to all ills of society. You know, even FDR threatened to pack the Supreme Court when his Social Security program you know, was declared or threatened to be declared unconstitutional by the Supreme Court. And, of course, we've seen something altogether you know, just like that, once again. You know, they got in the idea that, one, they're elitist. They they know better than the, the average man. Big government is the answer. And you saw the government really exploding by the time FDR came into power. And then, of course, FDR led to, you know, what Lyndon Johnson did with the war on poverty. You saw, you know, some of it under... Uh, Kennedy, but not as much. Then, of course, you had uh, Clinton uh, with all sorts of labor issues and agreements. And then Obama just, you know, he basically ignored the Constitution and he ignored what Congress wanted. He made, you know, writ large the types of things that he thought needed to happen. And if you understand the history of Obama, uh, it's not all about together very different than some of what Hillary Clinton's ideas were, uh, yeah, and and which are rather, I would argue, uh, pretty radical. So, you know, the group today, Richard, you know, are of course avowed socialists in some cases. Uh, Bernie Sanders having honeymooned in the Soviet Union. You know, a guy that's calling for the Boston bomber to have the right to vote. You know, a guy that praised uh, you know Castro's communist Cuba, and then of course you have Buttigieg, you have you know, Kamala Harris, you have Elizabeth Warner who wants to control weapons, um, rob us of our Second Amendment rights, but also you know she wants workers to be in charge of management of companies, which sounds vaguely familiar to what the Soviets did and certainly other uh, communist regimes of the past. You know, the, the present group, I, I think, it kind of robbed an idea that was well-intended in the late 19th, early 20th century. They gave us some great reforms, but then they went in a, in a radical direction of allowing big government to oversee everything, and then they abandoned any pretense about uh, a Bible uh, the God of the Bible, and they started to create their own concept uh, of, you know, a theology of the world, uh, and certainly your government's role, and their so-called elitist know-how, their genetically predisposed, inherited right to rule the world, knowing better than the rest of us how things ought to happen. And that's why I say that they've undercut the rights, they've undercut the institutions that are key to making, uh, chartering and conducting our lives as a nation, and then of course they undercut the ideals that are so critical to making uh, the United States what it has been over the last couple hundred years. Let's talk about some of the underlying uh, principles of the progressive movement. For example, how does progressive ideology uh, view liberty? In other words, what does freedom mean to a progressive? 
or where does it come from and how is it achieved? Well, liberty to a progressive, of course, when we, you know, I say that liberty, equality, individualism, patriotism, and capitalism are all you know, ideals that spawned out of the exceptionalist movement uh, that made America the, the new nation that it is. But when you look at liberty, of course, the ideal comes from Thomas Jefferson, who called it an unalienable right. And that's written in the U.S. Constitution. Now, conservatives in the United States, you know, we embrace natural rights concepts of liberty. And we review or view the, the notion that government is a primary threat, whereas, you know, the progressive would say, no, big government is not a threat. Big government is the solution. Big government decides whether or not you can succeed and is going to dictate. They want total government dependency. Yeah, of course, this idea of big government is, is clearly something that you hear from the likes of Warren and Harris and Buddha Edge and others. They say, well, big government is not the problem. It's big corporations that control the wealth of the country. And that's where your concern should be focused. Big government is here to you know, represent your best interest. Well, when big government is controlled by an anti-God by a progressive you know, elite you know, group of individuals, as I believe it is today, uh, then you are in trouble. Uh, and I think that what we're seeing in the political infighting between you know, progressives and Trump, Trump tends to be very much a, a constitutionalist, very much focused on the rights and ideals of America as it was intended by the founders. And the division in the country is that the other half tends to totally disagree, believing that our Constitution is malleable, it needs to be changed, and, and that's why they want a progressive court system to begin to interpret the, the Constitution very differently and to deny us of our, uh, certainly sanction, our freedom of religion, uh, which means we can act out our beliefs within the public arena. And, and so you've seen the progressives go after people that refuse to serve someone, uh, you know, say at a bakery to make a, a cake for a homosexual uh, wedding. They say that's contrary to my beliefs. And I should, based upon the First Amendment freedom of religion, be able to make that judgment. Well, progressives say, no, uh, that's wrong. And then, of course, you see the Fourth Amendment, which is, of course, you know, whether or not search and seizure can be used. The idea was to keep government out of our business. Now, a lot of progressives will, will say that they believe that, but then they use, under Obama, the FISA courts to intrude upon a private citizen's, you know, conduct when there's no true you know, rationale under the law to do these sorts of things. So liberty, I think, as well as equality and other attributes, other ideals, are very threatened by this cabal of people that have in their own minds that they know better than our founders, and they know better certainly than contemporary conservatives what the direction of the country ought to be. And, and when it comes to freedom, as you point out in the book, Jefferson you know, states quite clearly, all men are born free. We are born and created equal. Uh, but the, the progressive believes that's, that's naive, right? That, that you can't, no one is born free. We are born into servitude. Only big government can deliver us to freedom. Absolutely. Big government is the answer, uh, according to the progressive. And, and they're the ones that are going to interpret uh, what that means. You know, the, the idea that uh, progressives have led to great changes, some of which you know, I applaud early in the book, as you know, Richard. However, when you look back across the 200 years, it was the progressives that sanctioned you know, the black man after the Emancipation Proclamation and really caused great consternation as to whether or not they should even be allowed to vote. If you and I, I go into some detail in, in states like Louisiana, where you had in one year, you had well over 100,000 uh, African-Americans that were allowed to vote post-Civil War. And then all of a sudden, progressives step in and say, no, uh, they have to demonstrate intelligence, self-control, and capacity for cooperation in order to exercise their right to vote. And so they denied that. And the next year, you only had a couple 
couple thousand, literally less than 2,000 that were allowed to vote because of their progressive views. The same thing on eugenics. It was progressives that were behind, you know, in 30 states you had laws that allowed for uh, sterilization. And eugenics, of course, not only caused the, the sterilization movement, which wasn't eliminated truly until the night, late 1950s, but that you also had uh, the abortion on demand issue. And, of course, the, the emergence of radical feminization came about, uh, Betty Fritan and others that introduced this. During the FDR administration, you had the whole issue of Jewish immigration. You know, if you really look and see how FDR, who, you know, was truly anti-Semitic, if you look at his history, and, you know, and I document some of it uh, in the book, you know, we turned away Jews fleeing Nazi Germany. Why? Because they were Jews, not because you know, they were about to be put in death camps, and right. many were. We had a similar so situation. We had a similar situation in Canada. There was a famous line that was uttered by a member of uh, the Liberal Party, the governing Liberal Party, uh, when asked how many Jewish immigrants should Canada accept during the war, and he said, "None is too many." And that was a Liberal. A uh, member of the Liberal Party. Uh, you mentioned eugenics and sterilizing uh, people. I believe the term they used at the time were imbeciles. It just uh, that was just yes. the, the term they used. It's a rather unfortunate term. But this idea of the progressives and eugenics and even racial hygiene laws, which the Nazis actually borrowed from the United States. What what is the connection? Well, what is the connection between the progressive movement and eugenics? Well, they diminish you know people of a certain ethnic or racial background, you know, and I will, I'll use what, you know, the same tool was used by the Nazis. They, they did the, the political cartoons that depicted Jews as fools and rats and traitors. Their education establishment went after Jews. You know, what happened, as you may recall, November the 9th and 10th, 1938 at Kristallnacht, you know, the Jewish brown shirts, or I mean, the Nazi brown shirts and others, the SS went out, they killed, murdered 100 Jews that very night. Thousands were beaten. 30,000 Jewish men were incarcerated. Schools, synagogues, Jewish businesses were shut down and vandalized, which, of course, gives us the idea of broken glass or crystal knock. These sorts of intimidation, this sort of violence happens uh, only when you allow a group of people to use the tools of government to intimidate others. Uh, in that particular case, it was the Jewish population of first Germany and then more expansive of Western Europe and even into uh, Russia. My concern is that we are seeing some of the same tactics even today uh, against people, Christians, white people, conservatives, even Trump supporters. You know, right, wrong, or indifferent, these tools uh, are, are very persuasive in a culture uh, that doesn't really know where it's going. I call this multicultural Marxism, where, you know, it promotes unreason and ir irrationality under the guise of various social cause causes and we find these social causes of course the most recent one is uh, racism and it seems as if you can be called a racist in america by progressives for doing virtually anything uh, and it's just the latest boogeyman in our culture which is unfortunate um, but but the eugenics movement is there something inherent in I don't know Marxist philosophy about you know man perfecting man rather than God is that what's behind it? Well, I, I, no, I think you're right there. Uh, as I indicated, the perfectibility of man is something Hegel had you know, in his uh, I, I would call it a theology as philosophy that man eventually, uh, if we call out the the dim-witted and only allow those that are truly fit uh, to reproduce. And we saw that in the eugenics movement, uh, you know, in the early last century in the United States. And of course, who is making those determinations? It's, you know, it's the elite of the progressive movement that it's to say, you are uh, fit to reproduce. And it, often it was white, uh, Protestant, 
heterosexual and so forth you know it was very prescriptive you know just look at some of the the writings uh, and some of the court cases in the united states uh, during that era and i profile some of that in progressive evil and, and it just takes your breath away you know even though it's it's easy to sit here in 2019 and look back in the 30s and 40s and even 50s in the United States and see that the wrongness of what they were saying, it was still happening then. You know, and that's what happens in cultures. Cultures are changed by people that control education, by people that control media, the people who control government, and, and certainly the, the, uh, the higher education uh, establishment. And that, of course, are the targets of the progressive movement, you know, John Dewey took over with his uh, protégés, and I profile that in the, in the chapter on education and how he fostered ideas about how to remake uh, America, beginning with the K-12 through education process. And, and they've done a very good job of robbing us of our civics and, and reinstituting or instituting you know, kind of social studies programs that are really about programming young children uh it's not as bad in some places as others but you know here we just had a case in california just in the last couple of days uh in which we had uh, a gop is demanding an investigation into the anti-semitic california high school curriculum you know they're really profiling jews as depraved you know in a public financed education high school curricula you know that sort of stuff you would have thought would have died out decades and decades ago after what the Nazis did to the Jews, but yet it's reemerging. And, you know, there are some people that are at least willing to, to call that sort of stuff out. And yet, you know, we're seeing that happen within the culture. It's a dangerous time, I would argue, that we need to get back to civility. But civility, I think, has abandoned the, the public discourse. More of my conversation with U.S. Army Lieutenant Colonel Robert McGinnis when Conspiracy Unlimited returns. Fridays mean a visit from Christian D. Kadir, the co-host of Reverse Speech Radio. Christian, how are you? I'm doing well, Richard. How are you? Terrific, thanks. Well, we're going to continue with Gangster Week here. Last week, we played a reversal from Scarface himself, Al Capone. Uh, today, we crossed uh, yeah. the pond to uh, England, a very notorious crime family, the Cray Brothers. And this one is from Reggie Cray. Let's have a listen. Mm-hmm. You get all this, and then this is on top of it all. You know, that's the last thing I wanted, uh, I needed to do, or be asked to do. Okay, so that was Reggie Cray, and just explain the backstory, what he's talking about here. He's saying something about it was the last thing I wanted to do or be asked to do. Yeah, the the Cray twins happen to be my absolute favorite uh, mobsters of all time. Uh, I just found them to be fascinating, but. Um, this is Reggie Crane, and I believe this is what you would refer to as being very close to a deathbed confession. He's in the hospital. He's being interviewed. After this was recorded, there wasn't much longer uh, for him. So he's being asked, and he's telling a story where there was a controversy surrounding uh, him being one of the key suspects, him and his brother, on a particular murder. And uh, he denied it, and they could never pin it on him. But uh, his reversal, of course, comes out as five bullets. It just so happens that the person who was killed was shot five times. This is the amazing thing about reverse speech. You can't lie. It is, uh, it's the most natural truth term. It's better than a polygraph. As I always say, where a polygraph ends, reverse speech picks up because it won't just tell you if someone's lying. It'll actually tell you what they're thinking and where quite possibly the murder weapon might be hiding as well. Five bullets did it. Yeah, I I believe that was the entire clip. Right. It's remarkable. Absolutely remarkable. Christian, how do people listen to your wonderful podcast, Reverse Speech Radio? They can certainly listen to us on Libsyn platform, uh, which uh, is... um, uh, They can just (laughs) go to the Libsyn platform, punch in Reverse Speech, or, much easier, 
uh, reversespeech.ca and click on the link that says Reverse Speech Radio, which will take you right to Libsyn. New episodes drop every Thursday, correct? That is correct, yeah. Reverse Speech Radio. Go to reversespeech.ca or reversespeechradio.libsyn.com. Reversespeechradio.libsyn.com. The truth goes through three stages. First, it is ridiculed. Then, it is violently opposed. Finally, it is accepted as self-evident. Let me just read that again. I don't know what that means. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. We are back with Lieutenant Colonel Robert McGinnis. On the foreign policy front, one of the ironies is that when you see these protesters out there who consider themselves to be progressives, and they, they seem to be filled with a certain self-loathing, they hate the West, they hate the United States, they blame the United States for starting wars, but as you point out in progressive evil. The idea of foreign interventionism is really a progressive idea that began, I believe, with Woodrow Wilson. Oh, it did. And Woodrow Wilson got us into World War One. You know, it, yes, it, it was a terrible situation, but it was his personal engagement, his personal campaigning in Congress that caused us to enter that war. But then, you know, as that war was winding down, uh, he joined you know, the, the Russian czarists, you know, the, the white Russians against Lenin, Vladimir Lenin and the red Russians uh, in a civil war. And it's often referred to as the Midnight War. You know, a lot of Americans, even the United States Congress, had no idea that Wilson just, you know, sent brigades of U.S. forces, regiments, into western Russia to help the white Russian czarists and also in, to Vladivostok in the east to help you know, the white Russians. Yeah, so we became very engaged in overseas wars, which, of course, is part of the globalist agenda of the progressives. They want to remove uh, you know, any boundaries. They have every intention of having world government given the opportunity. Uh, so what I wrote a couple of years ago in The Deeper State, which you've interviewed me on as well, Richard, yes. I, I saw at that point the whole threat of globalization. Well, progressives in the United States have a very clear agenda, and I believe it's to move the United States in the direction of globalists. Uh, but they first have to undermine uh, the rights, the institutions, and the ideals that our founders gave us. And that's why I'm calling on Americans to at least study their own civics and understand the roles and responsibilities of being a good citizen in this country. And I think if they do that, we're going to recover uh, some of what we've given away without due process to progressives who have a very long-term and radical agenda, which isn't in our best interest. The other irony uh, with the progressive movement has to do with immigration, because as you point out, again, in progressive evil, the early progressives were very much anti-immigration, particularly the labor unions. And now, of course, the progressives align themselves with illegal immigrants, and they believe there should be complete unfettered access by all citizens of the world to migrate to America. So talk to me about the, the early anti-immigration anti positions of progressives, and then why the switch? Well, I think the switch is because they've been taken over by uh, an establishment, a Democratic Party that has every intention of using new immigrants to you know, bolster uh, their votes. And, you know, the, the polling certainly suggests that. But you're right. Uh, you know, FDR, as I pointed out moments ago, was very much against uh, European immigration, uh, had major controls over it, especially Jewish immigration, in spite of the fact that the Jewish population was well-educated and, and willing to, you know, to contribute to the American dream. Um, they were against Eastern Europeans, uh, not just Western Europeans. And, you know, it, it, who was it? FDR, who uh, incarcerated more than 100,000 Japanese? You know, even against what the Pentagon suggested was not a problem. You know, they weren't going to cause an insurrection within the United States. These were, had just happened to be ethnically Japanese, but they were American as the rest of us. 
And yet you had within, you know, the progressive government of FDR, you know, people running the State Department and the other appendages of government that were very much against uh, the types of things that today we would call out as, you know, the very discriminatory and not in the best interest of this amalgam, this mixing bowl that we have long called America. And now they've thrown, you know, caution to the wind and they're inviting you know, massive Im- immigration, of course, that's removing of borders uh, and free access to anyone. And of course, if you will come into this country, uh, if AOC and some of her ilk have their way you know they'll give you free medical care guaranteed jobs uh, all of these sorts of things which of course is a, a major invitation for people that are in desperate situations whether it's in the americas or elsewhere in the world to flood into this country and of course ultimately overwhelm our systems and destroy the nation as we know it today Uh, Bernie Sanders uh, seems convinced that the overwhelming majority of Americans support the progressive agenda. How popular is it? Is is, is Bernie Sanders right? Well, you certainly have millennials that, you know, surprisingly perhaps, and maybe naively embrace progressivism, Uh, certainly socialism, which I think are part and parcel of one another. You know, Sanders had, you know, a, a large segment, if not the majority of uh, the millennials that actually voted in the 2016 election uh, that have bought into his ideas that socialism is the, the future of the United States uh, because socialism is controllable. You know, this whole idea of capitalism, uh, as we saw in recent stock market issues, you know, is, is pretty unsettling. Uh, but that, of course, is one of the ideals uh, of the American system and, of course, the institution of our economy. But Sanders has these great ideas. It's a very you know, socialist agenda. He has some support. He doesn't have anywhere near the support that you would think from watching one of his campaign rallies. Uh, and that's why I think the Democratic Party uh, had better be careful. Even Obama is making some statements suggesting that you've gone too far to the left. And so if you're going to win, you're going to have to find you know, something closer to the center because uh, the independents are beginning to run uh, from some of these radical ideas that are being fostered by Democratic can- candidates for the presidency. And, and it, it appears you've got... Uh, uh, Marianne uh, Williamson, you have de Blasio, you have Buttigieg, you have others that are saying some pretty outlandish things and how they're going to spend us out of you know these problems that face the public. But the reality is that they're going to remake America in an image that probably won't be able to survive in the next century. Why has corporate America signed on to the progressive agenda? Is it simply pandering? Well, it is pandering, as we saw with the Castro brothers' release of the contributions of 44 donors down in Texas. You know, the corporations are not stupid politically. They understand that they may not be able to dictate who's going to get elected, so they give to both sides. Uh, And even though you've got the likes of Elizabeth Warren who say that, look, you know, she's very much against corporations, but on the side she'll take money. Every one of these candidates, even Bernie Sanders, a millionaire himself, will will take you know money on the side because campaigns are incredibly expensive. So I, I think their ideology uh, kind of fades in the background when we're talking hard currency that they need to sustain their movement. They may make great speeches to millennials who, you know, clap and are enthusiastic. However, the reality is that uh, they, too, are taking what I would consider in some cases dark money as well as, you know, legitimate contributions up front. And that's why you see these packs, you know, kind of blossoming out there. You know, people that are you know, want to maintain some anonymity uh, given what's going on, but at the same time they want to kind of you know, make sure that they're in both camps if possible. At this point, it doesn't look like anything aside from a recession uh, would could get in the way of a second term for President Trump. But what happens 
after 2024. And when these blue, uh, uh, red states turn into purple states and then blue states, and then conservatives are basically looking at uh, almost an impossible task to, to win the White House, maybe even the Senate, uh, what do you suppose will happen then? Well, if in fact yeah, you're correct that uh, progressives do manage to turn red states into blue states, which you know, I know in the state where I live, Virginia, uh, we have teetered on both sides. We have a Democrat uh, as a governor and have for a number of years. Uh, Republicans statewide can't seem to get there. Senators are, are Democrats. Uh, and even our, uh, you know, of course, the House of Delegates is split. And so, yeah, they have, they, the progressives, the Democrats, have a very clear agenda to take over uh, those, you know, red states. Uh, they're going to have a challenge in the middle, but I think that they're making some progress. Uh, one of the reasons that I'm concerned is uh, about where they go is perhaps overturning the Electoral College, which, of course, uh, Article 2, uh, Section 1 of the Constitution, you know, pre prescribes the Electoral College as something that Madison put in place to protect the country from, you know, renegade systems. And yet there's something called the MPV, the National Popular Vote Interstate Compact, which basically wants to do away with that, which is an idea that is promoted by the likes of Hillary Clinton, saying that a popular vote should rise to dictate who becomes president. Why that is a concern is that basically the left coast and the right coast could combine to elect the president, leaving out the vast middle of the country. So, you know, if there's, that's one tactic they're using, I think, to take the White House, say, if a recession doesn't happen and Trump is reelected, which is a real possibility, I think, you know, is that their long-term strategy uh, is, one, to manipulate the Constitution, as I outlined, uh, but also to t begin to, you know, populate the country with maybe uh, immigrants who are pre uh, I suppose, uh, inclined to vote Democrat because they see the open borders concept and free giveaway programs. But at the same time, uh, I think that, you know, they're politically, they're beginning to take root in places that have been uh, in the past conservative uh, red states, uh, and they're making progress. Uh, what Republicans and conservatives must be concerned about is progressives, you know, can spend us into oblivion uh, given the opportunity, but their promises are beginning to move entire sections demographically. Certainly the millennials, as I indicated earlier, are going in that direction. Though they can't define socialism and they don't know about the dark history of socialism in places like the Soviet Union and China, yet you know, they're persuasive to a population that uh, is accepting of that. And of course the whole globalist agenda you know, fits in there. So. Yes, I think that uh, if we're not careful, uh, we'll see a very different America in the future. And, of course, uh, those that subscribe to the values that I do uh, are going to be very much in the minority. And I fear what we talked about earlier, you know, uh, about how you know, those that are white and Christian, conservative, and Trump supporters are going to be very much uh, alienated in a culture which is dominated by progressives. Well, I, I guess my, my, my final question would be, do you fear, or is it inevitable, that there will be civil war? Yeah, I was asked that uh, in a couple-hour interview uh, weeks ago, Richard. I am concerned about that. Um, and, and it's not just because most of the guns are in the, the hands of conservatives in the United States, but if people awaken to the reality as to what is happening to the United States, and it's being taken over by the likes of progressives that have a very clear agenda, which I outline in Progressive Evil, uh, then, you know, and they are totally intolerant of, you know, these values that have undergird the United States for 
centuries and now are being abandoned, uh, then I can see you know, a rise of violence. I don't like to think that that's going to happen. I pray that it doesn't happen. Uh, but you know, the, the level of incivility, the level of hostility across the country, as we see in the political fray, um, you know, it means a divided country. Divided countries uh, tend to have mixed histories. We saw that in Europe. This is a unique experiment that is now 243 years in the making. Uh, it, too, could come apart. I don't know of a single empire in the history of mankind that has survived this long, but it doesn't guarantee that we're going to survive you know, another decade or two decades, uh, given you know, perhaps the internal you know, problems that we are now beginning to see, and certainly the divided uh, electorate. Except this time, it won't be divided along north and south lines. It'll be right through households and city blocks. Well, well, it will. Uh, it's, I wouldn't think it would be as as uh, outspoken or as obvious in in certain places like in the left coast, uh, you know, Washington, Oregon, or California. Though you do have very conservative aspects of parts of those, and and same thing in parts of the the metro areas of Washington D.C. up to Boston. However, you know when you get in the middle of the country. Uh, the division is very clear, uh, and right now conservatives dominate, but uh, there are very clear uh, differences of opinion uh, that are st strong and are beginning to animate uh, our population. So we need cooler heads to prevail, we need civility to return, uh, but with the instruments of the media, the instruments of big government, uh, these are undercutting the certainly the civics that we were given by the founders of this country. And I believe you know, when you begin to deny people those fundamental rights, then you begin to have a rise of uh, populism that is going to be very much against uh, the elitists that think, seem to think that they know the direction this country ought to go. Progressive Evil, How Radicals Are Redefining America's Rights, Institutions, and Ideals, Making Her Globally Irrelevant for the End Times. Lieutenant Colonel Robert L. McGinnis, how do we get a copy of the book? Well, it's well available on Amazon, and I encourage people to go on there, uh, get a copy, and write a review. Uh, I, I read those reviews. I like to know what others think about it. I, I think these are dangerous times, and my intent is to educate, not to inflame. Uh, and I think that uh, people will have to make their own judgments. Thank you so much for this, Robert. Thank you, Richard. Okay, before I say goodnight to the moon over Messonia, I'll be back with a few words about the next installment of Conspiracy Unlimited. Have you checked out my Strange Planet shop yet? We just launched our brand new Nazca Lines merch. Mugs, t-shirts, tote bags, and stickers. I've partnered with a talented artist from Phoenix, and you have to see these cool designs for yourself. The Nazca Lines t-shirts are available for a limited time only. Right now, you can purchase the t-shirts at a special price of $18.50 US, but this deal won't last long. To start shopping, go to strangeplanet.ca and click on the Strange Planet Shop button. Get your Nazca Lines merch at strangeplanet.ca. It's a strange planet. Wear the shirt. Take the journey. Coming up next time on Conspiracy Unlimited, travel adventurer Brad Olson is just back from Skinwalker Ranch, and he'll be here with all the details. Until then, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now. Kalinichta. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at conspiracyunlimitedpodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting.